You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Ross Tregenza. Hello, Ross. Hello. Very happy to be here. Ah, thanks for joining us. And this is a little different realm than we normally feature on here. While Ross does play in bands and has been making music for a long time, he also scored the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game, which retains a faithful atmosphere to the original movie. And it's a, a very exciting, tense, and interesting score with a lot of weird instrumentation. And plays as a great dark ambient soundscape record. And since we're still in or just out of October here, it seemed uh, perfectly fitting. So before we <laughs> talk about soundtrack stuff, how did you get started in, in making music and what drew you to working in video games and this sort of, I don't know, this sort of landscape that you operate in? Like I, I was like a video game nerd from the time I was eight or nine years old, like back in the 80s with my Commodore 64 and stuff. It was always just part of my growing up and, you know, the evolution as the, the games consoles and all that grew and the games got bigger i was still playing them but i'd never had any ambitions as a kid to be a video game composer at all i just got to about 18 or 19 and i started getting i was always interested in music and i was in like the goth scene in the uk goth and industrial music and i was playing my bands back then and then it came down to this little one sort of uh moment where the two things combined where I, I i met a guy who's now like a like a brother to me really a composer called graham norgate who did the music for time splitters and golden nine a load of classic games but he was also like he was into my band and i was into his uh video game music we became friends and that's the point where it crossed over and i suddenly thought oh wow i guess there's like a, a whole avenue of stuff i could be doing with actually writing music for video games so it's a lot more kind of accessible these days, but back in mid nineties, it was, I didn't know anybody that did it and it wasn't really, it wasn't like a lot of tutorials or things like that about how to do it. So it was this whole different world. Yeah. Just one day I stumbled into it. It's probably the, the simple way of putting it. And what was the first game that you worked on? Time Splitters 2 back okay. in about 20, oh God, maybe 21 years ago, something like that again. <laughs> Just I did I just did one track for that. So I met this Graham Norgate just as they were working on Time Splitters 2. And he got me to do one remix for that game. And it was very popular. He was really happy with it. So Time Splitters 3, I did six or seven tracks for that game. And then slowly I started moving into this whole area. And as each time it happened, I was I was doing okay with it. I was happy with my work. I was working hard. And more and more I was realizing this is actually a viable career that's a music thing so yeah kind of it escalated over time did it overtake your interest in in playing in bands or do you still find time to do both oh no i i still do both as i've got especially the last like three or four maybe five years where i've been really like really heavily working on getting work as a composer for games my my band stuff has taken a hit and i'm doing a lot less of that just because i'm never not writing music now i do it every day and i still don't have time to get through everything i want to do so i still play gigs with my band and my band is just me and my friend ali in bristol in the south of the uk but we still play like some like goth and industrial festivals and just like spot gigs here and there whatever we can do basically but yeah it's as the composing for games has escalated the stuff that i do for my band has had to by by just 
the amount of time I have has just slowly got less and less, but I'll never stop. I'll always keep releasing stuff. Excellent. Excellent. And the band is Goteki. That's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. we've been going for a long, long time now. So I, I started with like a sort of a comedy goth band in about 1996, I think. And that's, that was very popular. Actually, still people like it called a sneaky bat machine. It's just like a kooky little cyber goth band but they kind of ran its course and then i wanted something a little more more open-ended so i formed goteki with the same people just like a different sort of more sci-fi vibe to it and stuff and i've done that ever since it's been about 20 years probably probably more than 20 years of goteki now just countless releases and stuff it's just been a like over the years it's ebbed and flowed and we've done more and less at different points but yeah still going some people like it it's i probably do it until i die <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of strange instrumentation and of course field recording and music concrete stuff in the soundtrack for texas chainsaw massacre is this yeah. the first time you've had an opportunity to use those sort of sounds or those sort of techniques in a soundtrack or did that start earlier i think in terms of like my video game work and like my my i say professional but like, yeah like video game composing and stuff like that. I haven't had a huge amount of opportunity to go so crazy, but I'm from a, a background of like sort of dark experimental music and industrial and goth and all that kind of stuff. So it's always been in me to throw everything in. I grew up with the early industrial bands and, and Night Nails and Skinny Puppy and things like that. It was never weird for those bands to throw in like sound design element and textural elements, things like that. So when it came to starting Texas Chainsaw, like tonally, it took a while to get it right because I was it, like the first few experiments I did were very like modern sounding and I had to beat that out myself and, and get it back into that 70s feel. But like the idea of using experimental stuff and, and throwing everything in, say in that like music concrete style and just throwing the paint on the canvas and seeing what happens, that's I think that's been in me since I started doing music. So that was more of a release, really, that normally the, the stuff I do for video games has to be a little more structured. And yeah, I've, I've done a lot of uh, different games I'm really proud of, but the working with those is, has to be a little, the, the remit's quite tight in like your know, 70s pop or uh, futuristic electro, things like that. This is the first time I could really go quite crazy with like experimental side of things, for sure. This came up recently when we were discussing soundtracks a couple episodes ago and Tara and I mentioned one of the biggest shames in the world is that there is no Texas Chainsaw soundtrack the elements were lost there's no soundtrack that's just the isolated music from yeah, it yeah there are no masters and then Gray said that's true but there is the soundtrack to the video game and it does capture a lot of the essence of it. So we immediately checked it out. And we're like, wow, right away you get the great, that that just iconic Texas Chainsaw mm -hmm. soundtrack sound. In my mind, it's a metal scrape. Yeah, like metal That, that bowed metal that yeah. is just yeah. right, the first thing you hear basically mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah. I had to and go so, in with that. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's just like right away you're like, here we are. So what was your process as far as watching the movie, listening to the original soundtrack, then interpreting it in your own way. What was your process in starting work on the soundtrack? The first step was understanding 
Wayne Bell, the original composer, understanding his language, trying to learn to speak that a little bit, and then getting a grip on what that was, trying to figure out 50% trying to figure out the technical aspects of what am I listening to here? What is this? And then 50% saying, okay, just get that spirit and try some other sounds and see if I can get stuff. Doesn't need to be exactly what he did, but get stuff that feels like the same language. So like the first year of composing was really just trying to replicate what Wayne Bell did and then grow on it in a way that didn't feel like it was drifting from the original sounds. Like I, I did a lot of experiments with my, my studio bought me a reel-to-reel tape machine you can see here in the background mm. which is very kind so I just ran a lot of stuff through that tried to understand how that affected the sound of of like sound design elements and things just got into uh vintage like tape echo effects and tape saturation effects and understood how that affected the source material and then just tried a huge range of different source material a lot of it was during um lockdown in the UK so I was just wandering around hitting things with other things and scraping materials together, just seeing what what sounded Texas Chainsawry. And the, the CEO and president of the publisher for the game, Wes Keltner, he's very active in the music. He is very interested and uh, involved in it. From the start, I would send things to him and he would be like, no, I think we're drifting from the sound of it. And he was really helping me steer back to it. But after about six months or so, I was starting to figure out like the sound of like chains and tape echoes and squealing pigs and things like that with distortion. You start layering that stuff together. You start to be able to recreate that very particular sound that they achieve for the film. And it's lovely when it started happening, when I was like, okay, I think this is it. I'm starting to get the language now. And then like now I can put tracks in that musical style together fairly quickly because it's like literally like learning a language. I feel like I've learned that language now and I can compose quite efficiently with it. So it's nice to be able to do that after all that time. But yeah, it was difficult at first, but it's, yeah, it's lovely now to be able to just expand endlessly. I think I could write music in in this style for the rest of my life quite happily now. If, if I, but I don't think anyone needs that, but I would do it if it's an option. <laughs> We've just added a couple of tracks uh, that are sort of bonus tracks that are also used in the game. Are they adding new sounds and new music to the game as it gets updates or were those things that were already there? The publisher gun were really excited about the soundtrack and in the lead up to the game obviously they were they're really good with like sort of social media and getting the hype going stuff like that so they wanted the soundtrack out there for people to listen to ahead of the game coming out which meant and the vinyl also the, they wanted out and i'm sure you guys know there's like the vinyl there's a huge backlog of, like it takes a long time to get a vinyl yeah. out Oh, yeah. <laughs> i had to have the core soundtrack ready like way before the game came out which meant uh, the game was still in production by the time like we had it on Spotify and streaming platforms and stuff. So I had like about another six months of development time of the game. And so there was still every now and then there'd be something happening in the game. I'm like, I'd love to just throw one more track into this and just because it just felt like it needed something else. And it's because I loved it so much, it's hard to let it go. So I just kept writing and writing. So these three tracks, they all featured in the game as of the initial release day, but they weren't on the soundtrack. And people like, especially the the first track out of the three that we released today called Nothing Left is in the most heightened moment possible in the game. And it's one that I added just because I thought, although the game was already really intense, there was just this one point where you're watching the last survivor escape and there's nothing you can do to help them. I just need the biggest, craziest 
darkest, heaviest track ever. I wrote that and it was just, it was niggling at me that it wasn't on the soundtrack and the people couldn't get to hear it. And people actually, they were contacting me saying, what is that track? Because it's not on the soundtrack, but it's not my position to talk about any additional content. So I've been bugging the publisher to release it. And I was like, hey, Halloween's around the corner. Maybe we could just get these three tracks out. And they're good guys and they, they work well with me and you know, trying to support me with this kind of stuff. So they agreed to release those three tracks. So. I'm super happy to wake up to that today. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. I, I listened to them this morning. I've played the game and I've also, of course, listened to the soundtrack a bunch and got a copy of the vinyl, which also comes bundled with a record by Wes in a collaboration yeah, with right, another yeah. person. So you can hear all this stuff and some other music related. And I know the developer, by the way, we mentioned Wes Keltner, the CEO of Gun, but the yeah. developer also made the Friday the 13th video game. So this is obviously yeah. a thing that they care about is making horror and video games and it's yeah. cool to see another game come from them we mentioned vinyl taking a long time and mm. you mentioned starting working on stuff for a year and over lockdown so how long of, was the process for making the soundtrack to this and how much of the game did you get to interface with while trying to score it like how ready was the game when you go to start making a soundtrack for it We've been working on the game for, I've been saying three and a half years, so I guess we're pushing towards four years now from the beginning of development. Normally, if you're just a composer, uh, I, I don't mean just a composer, I just mean as a, a, like slightly abstracted from the development process, then you'll quite often be involved a little later in development, not quite as late as people sometimes presume, but the second half of it. But I'm the audio director and I, so I've, I've done... 95% of the sound design in the game and 100% of the music. So I've been there since the, the first meetings with the publisher, like before the game existed and stuff. So I'm in an unusual, really lovely position that I've been there all along from day one to, to the end, just making sure that the audio sounds awesome. There's been, there's, there hasn't been any time where the game's been in production and I didn't know what was going on. We're, we're a fairly small team making it. It's about I think it's about 60, 60, 70 of us, maybe less actually, maybe 50 of us that have made this game as in the Sumo Nottingham studio with Gun, the publisher, being very hands-on as well, about 20 guys on their side, like proactively being involved. So all in all, in the grand scheme of things, a, a pretty small production. But yeah, so since day one, I had vague ideas, even in the first meetings with them, about what I would do if, if we got the game and stuff. But that's evolved constantly throughout. But for almost four years now, I've played the game every single day. I get up in the morning, I, I sync it for any new features and stuff like that, and I play it. I make notes, I talk to my team, and then we get a team-wide playtest two or three times a week where we all talk together about what's good, what's bad. And that's happened for years now. So it's good. It's a good development team. It's, it's why the game's good. It's because people talk and we like each other. We want it to be good. And that sounds like a very interactive process and, and yeah, team. for sure, yeah. Other times with certain video games, especially live games or multiplayer games, it doesn't seem like people are uh, playing them and discussing them. <laughs> Maybe as much as we might hope for balance and for noting what's working and what's not. There's... Yeah. A lot of fun sounds in the video game, including, I know they tracked down the original chainsaw model used in the film. And actually, I yep. saw on social media that you acquired one yourself <laughs> recently, which I see sitting on top of your reel-to-reel -reel back <laughs> <Yep>. there. 
Yeah, that's right. This one is non-functional. I've been tracking one down for a couple of years. You can't get them in the UK. It's it's an American saw from mid-70s. There's no reason for it to be over in the UK, really. The customs taxes on it were pretty extortionate, but I got one. This one is just a real used farm one from mid-70s. It's caked in grass and dirt and stuff, but I love that. <laughs> but where's and the guys at Gun? They tracked down, I think they had five or something of the various models of the original one. The one in the film was like a hybrid of two different ones, a 245A and a 306A. I may have got that slightly wrong. If I've got that slightly wrong, anyone listening, please forgive me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just don't send me loads of hateful emails about it. <laughs> but yeah, they're Poland chainsaws from the mid-70s. But they got them uh, fixed up by some mechanics that knew them from the 70s. And they got Watson Wu, who's one of the world's best field recordists. He's just known in the sound design community as like the go-to guy for the best possible pristine sound. And they just went out to a field in Kentucky for a few days and just revved it and swung it around and and got every possible sound I'd ever need and then just sent it over to me to build into a a live system, which was a a lot of fun, but also by far the most difficult bit of sound design I've done in my entire career. It was incredibly difficult. What made it difficult? My first choice with it was that I didn't want it to be, a lot of times, things like chainsaws in games. If you get a chainsaw in a game, there'll be like a swipe or a sequence of things you can do, and people will design like a baked pre-made little sound bit for that. And it's very easy to do that. Obviously, you need some sound design skills, but it's not technically difficult to make. It's like track laying for a film or something where you're just putting in some sound effects. So I didn't want that. I wanted it to be like a live chainsaw system, the way that you would like drive a car in a racing game, where it's like the throttle genuinely pushes up and down with an accelerometer and exponential acceleration and stuff like that. And I got too carried away making like a simulated chainsaw, which it took me about a year and a half to realize I was heading in the wrong direction, that I, I was trying to make a beautifully replicated chainsaw. And it sounded like that. It was very good, but it was very polite, real simulation of a chainsaw, not Leatherface, like a maniac running after you with going, <laughs> which is what, what I needed. Eventually, I stripped it down and made it a lot more just focus on the fun, basically. I just stripped out a lot of these sort of technical layers that, that were just getting in the way. And I just made it that when you get past the 50% revving point on it, basically it goes out of control and you get the like the haptic vibrations on the controller and it feels like it's getting away from you. And so at that point, it's just revving up and down like with random parameters and stuff. It's fun as opposed to a simulation, which was where I went wrong with my initial <laughs> plans. But Gun were really good in not letting me get away with it as well. Like I really, because I was you know, at some point I was over it. I'd, I'd spent over 150 hours with nine iterations starting from scratch. And I was like, this has to be it. I can't hear chainsaws anymore. Like I was doing, <laughs> at one point I did like a whole week of 10 hour days every day for a week of just chainsaw sounds. And it still wasn't right. <laughs> oh like, my God. I'm losing my mind. But yeah, we got there in the end. <laughs> Thank God. There's a new chainsaw in the game too greg nicotero designed a, a skin right, yeah. for leatherface which is an entirely new look for leatherface and it looks awesome but along with that comes a really violent looking chainsaw yeah <laughs> and did you do the design on all that sound as well i did yeah was it easier uh, this time for a second chainsaw actually no it took longer than the first one <laughs> I went through 15 entire iterations instead of nine for this one. We just, because it was, it's up to Wes Keltner, the CEO in the end, like when it's right. And 
I don't know. We just, I wanted it to be right. He wanted it to be right. But the language between us of what it meant for that to sound right was just really difficult on this one. He wanted it like super bassy and heavy and, and nasty sounding. And I think I wanted to go for this like clanky, like farm machine sound. And I don't know, we just, we weren't landing there. And it just took me so many iterations on this one. But again, I knew when we got there and um, I'm really happy with it now. It's just, it's just ridiculously heavy and dark. And it it just sounds like a tractor from hell with a saw on it, basically. <laughs> just insanely deep and satanic sounding. <laughs> There's a lot of great sounds in the game and there's digging through a pile of bones to get a bone scrap there's rifling through yeah. a toolbox to get something to use to pick a lock to open a door there's a lot of thuds falls climbing over mm. stuff wrestling through bushes turning on and off light switches there's so much stuff in the game in addition to the victims say things there's a lot of lines yeah. they'll see one another like across a room and they'll be like oh there's sunny like they'll get excited yeah. about these things and it's really immersive did you have a master list of everything you needed sounds for and what did that look like <laughs> right um, so it in in my head yes <laughs> i knew what i wanted from day one like definitely it's nice to talk about the like the dialogue stuff i've done a lot of like writing directing and recording of dialogue for previous games and i really enjoyed it i haven't had a chance for a while and i thought this game was a great opportunity to push like a dynamic dialogue system that meant that it felt just more engaging and cinematic and realistic than you tend to get in this type of game where i think people forget about how much you can do with that and we also built, a, a. it doesn't sound difficult, but it was very difficult to build, like a system where everybody hears the same lines, because quite often in games, if you hear a line of dialogue, that dialogue will be from a random pool of maybe five or 10 variations, so that everyone, because people don't really think it matters that much. So you just hear a line that's correct for the context. But I wanted to make sure that everybody in the game, no matter where they were in the map, those same lines, exact same lines of dialogue were happening so that you get the opportunity for like people to experience the same sort of cinematic sequences that, that unfolds like systemically from different places. So if you're hiding in a cupboard and you hear the cook and Leatherface bickering, or if you're downstairs or if you're Leatherface, you all experience that same cinematic moment. And you can talk about it after then. It's cool. You've lived through a little bit of like real time cinema which it was hard the audio coder eugene Cherney, who's a fantastically talented guy took a lot of work to get that working correctly but yeah that, that was awesome and yeah the, the game is it's again i was very lucky that, that i was a bit of an auteur for the sound design so all those light switches and bone collecting and tool collecting i just got to do almost everything which is just my favorite way to do stuff <laughs> i can't pretend i don't like doing that <laughs> and i guess some of our actually probably a majority of our listeners may not know the game or may not have played it. And yeah. a quick description, as you're saying, everyone will hear it's a it's an asymmetrical horror game. So it's three, three of the members of the family with four victims basically trying to escape from the basement and then escape from the house or other building and then try to escape the property, including yeah. a great cinematic of Leatherface, you know, running down the road, swinging his chainsaw like in the original movie when someone gets yeah. away in, in frustration. But there's it's for seven players at a time in, in a lobby and there is a lot of interactivity between everyone in it and there's a nice roster of kind of original characters in terms of the family and they've added a couple new yep. ones as well as some victims 
who everyone's got a different personality and different specialty. And it's cool to watch the game play out and just how it goes, the different type of techniques people have. And there's so many mentioning cool sounds, even the light switch sounds good, lifting, lifting a little hatch so you can climb through or falling down a ladder. Like all of those <laughs> things have really intricate sounds. And there's, there's a couple funny sounds, including uh, nugget, the chicken yeah. who, if someone is trying to hide and runs by nugget, they'll start squawking to alert. You get a sound notification. Oh, someone's over there by the chicken and yep. you can go look to hunt them down. And you can also stab the chicken with a bone scrap, which is yeah. just, a fun just in thing. case anyone's wondering, we, we didn't record a, a chicken getting stabbed. Like, you know, I, I, <laughs> okay. I love animals. That's never going to happen. <laughs> That was just a mixture of sounds from library content. <laughs> the actual chicken, though, not only did we have definitely the most complicated chicken system in the history of video games, so there's five layers of chicken agitation that we work through as you get closer to it, so at which it dynamically moves levels of chicken agitation from one to five, which is, I spent about two weeks building a chicken system. But also <laughs> that's my friend's actual chicken that's graham norgate the composer i mentioned earlier from golden eye killer instinct <laughs> time splitters that's his actual chicken he because he's obviously a sound designer and composer himself and he had a chicken i said i need sounds of a chicken just chilling happy chicken sounds can you get your chicken to do some so he went out and recorded for me so his chicken is now famous <laughs> chickens have very nuanced agitation that's for sure yeah i'm glad i'm glad time was spent <laughs> yeah. There's a, you mentioned a five layer system for the chicken and there's a lot of things to think about when composing for a video game, at least it seems like it, which is the oh, yeah. horizontal and vertical interactivity of the sounds. So yeah. when soundtrack plays, when a sound event in the game plays, as those things ramp up in agitation, as you're running, as you're getting out of breath, all of those things have cues. How do you yeah. compose and design sound for that? Is there a, a software or a system you use? I know you use Cubase for a lot of the sound design. Yes, there is. There's for video games that there's uh, sometimes people build their own systems, but the majority of people these days use one of two middleware, we call it systems, which is a program called Wise with two W's for some reason, or FMOD. The, I think the line share these days use Wise, which is what we use in this game. Wise is, is basically the, you've got uh, the Unreal Engine, which is what our game's made in, which is all the, the core stuff the artists and everyone use. But, but um, you need like this sort of connecting tissue between pure sound design and the game. So uh, in Wise, I'll, I'll put all the sounds in, I'll set the volumes, I'll set the, the ranges of distance that sounds fall off and things like that. And then... Um, parameters get fed in from the game like how healthy is the player how recently did they engage in combat how much time is left how close are they to a chicken <laughs> things like that <laughs> and all of that information i use that data as parameters in wise which is this sort of middle ground of musician and sound designer and uh game designer so it's this it's what we use. It's a phenomenally open-ended piece of software that I've used, for, I don't know, many years now. And you know, just having that, and it can do whatever I want. I tell my audio coder, okay, I've got an idea. Maybe we start fading the music out if you haven't been in combat with the enemy for 40 seconds. And so he gives me that parameter, and then I'll start fading the music out over time, just drawing the lines myself in this program. So... It's it gives me a huge amount of power as a composer and sound designer to, to be able to do that because I can do a lot with very little, which is really cool. That sounds very involved, like it's a whole nother level of composing to 
have to yeah. make this stuff, but then determine when it all happens, when it elevates. And I'm sure you're also composing music that has different sections. So there's a point at which it's mellow, but then it has to ramp up, but it has to sound like a seamless piece of music, not like yeah. just all of a sudden cutting to some other thing that's got a higher BPM or is a little louder, or any of that kind of thing. Yeah, there's no tempo in the music of Texas Chainsaw Massacre at all. It's uh, tempo-less completely. It's th there's a few points where I move to a set piece of music as a, almost an Easter egg kind of thing. When, for example, if, if you've been close to an enemy for 20 seconds, which means things are going really badly, then we go to a set actual track of music called Blunt-Headed Hammer, which is this real heavy, dirgy track. And then it'll fade back out again if things go okay. But normally in the game, it's just uh, textures fading in and out all the time. Anything up to about 10 layers of textural music will fade in and out based on, it's about 20 parameters at any given time of how healthy are you? When did you last see someone? Has anything bad happened to you? Whereabouts are you? How long has it been since grandpa detected you? That kind of thing. <laughs> so it's this wash of different uh, layers coming in and out all the time, as opposed to more traditionally, like you, you just get, you know, uh, sections of music you'd move like four beats or eight or 16 beat sections and stuff there's even uh there's a sound cue when you see another if you're playing as a victim when you see another victim you like mellows out it gets a little like a little bit of hope to it i feel like in game yeah i was originally that there was a lot more moments of hope in the music but gun the publisher that they gave me the direction like the example that that i remember most is that when if you escape as a victim i wrote like probably the only sort of major chord jubilant bit of music in the whole game and they're like no <laughs> uh, so they said even if you like the tagline of the film was who will survive and what will be left of them and that's the idea is that even if you escape they're so scarred and so damaged by the events that nothing will ever be good for them really ever again i had to strip out all the major notes in that kind of stuff so the best you can hope for is you'll get some like chime sounds and i'll be hitting like a first and a fifth and an octave, which uh, is, if you do, that kind of gives you a sense of potential hope with the element of uncertainty, but there's no major chords <laughs> in, in the entire soundtrack whatsoever. Wow. It's unresolved fifths or minors only. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your relationship with Texas Chainsaw Massacre in general, hmm. recall when you saw it first, was it something you were into as a kid? Were you always a horror fan? What is your relationship with the actual movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, I'm a horror nerd. I, I, yeah, I grew up in, in the 80s, in that wonderful time when you could rent videos and parents didn't really understand what age ratings meant. So I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street and Alien and stuff like that when I was about nine years old. <laughs> and parents were like, oh, sure, it's fine. It's just a video. So I've grown up with these franchises. I always loved the film. I always wanted to push more into horror. This was a real dream for me. And as, as horror franchises get, this is a huge one. Any game that I've worked on, I, I find something to love about it. And I, I work hard on it and trying to do my best. But this one was very easy just because I'm a huge horror nerd. During the development, I've got like a two foot tattoo on my right leg now of the chainsaw from the game. <laughs> nice. Excellent. And, and in the 80s, notoriously in the UK was the, the video nasties controversy yeah. and many movies were either cut or banned totally. What was your experience with that? I've never actually really talked to anyone, only read stuff and listened to podcasts discussing this. Were you able to 
get uncut versions or were you dealing with cut versions for a long time until things started cooling out with that? I was aware of them as a kid in this sort of a scary playground way that, that we knew they existed. There, were, there was always rumors of someone's older brother had seen one and no one was ever sure if it was true. I never actually saw any of them as a kid. I grew up from, I was 10 till 20. I grew up overseas in the Middle East. So I missed my sort of formative years opportunity. It was certainly, they weren't available in the Middle East anywhere. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But yeah, when I came back to the UK, I started tracking down some like, Cannibal Ferox and things like that, just watching some of those films. I still enjoy the fact I haven't seen most of those video nasties. One day I just want to run through all of them beginning to end and see them all. I know a lot of them are just gross or like slightly exploitational in, in a way that's more sexually unpleasant than it is cool gory but there's still some good films in there i think the, the cannibal films were cool <laughs> oh yeah they're great and honestly a lot of them are seeing them now are totally almost bloodless like they yeah. a lot of those that got on the list were just mm -hmm. people who didn't really know at all and putting something like i want to see something like the prowler might be on there and that's not it's incredibly gory yeah. even text even the original texas chainsaw notoriously while people think of it as this crazy blood splatter gore movie it yeah. really isn't it's way more psychological and yeah. it's we rewatched it maybe a month or two ago. generally in august is when we like to watch yeah. it because that's when it takes we, we place went to think, when you want we something like, hot yeah we like to watch it <laughs> with the weather yeah and it, it 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 hits you in this way that's especially the, that final section where it's mm. just the chainsaw and screaming yeah so it, it's of course people you walk away thinking you watch this the most violent movie you've ever seen but then when you actually think about it it's all yeah. it, everything happened up here which is you know yeah. the, the mean, sign of an effective movie do you, do you realize the only chainsaw cut you see in the film it's on him, face. right? Yeah. 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 And there's only one actual chainsaw murder in the film, too. Only one person dies by a chainsaw. Like at I least guess just Franklin. Franklin, dies yeah. It's, it. it's yeah. at least as far as what's shown on screen and not even really on screen, but the only sort of supposition <laughs> it's a chainsaw massacre, but only one person actually yeah. gets gets killed with a chainsaw. So well, yeah, I, I guess you're right. a lot of the films that made that list back then, like that they wouldn't even grace it now. I, I remember watching Pulp Fiction, no, no, sorry, Reservoir Dogs in my teens. And when the guy got his ear cut off, I was just traumatized by that. And you know, now I'm watching Terrifier 2 with someone getting their eyes split <laughs> open and salt in the wounds. It's fine. <laughs> Somehow when it's CGI, it's not so bad though. You're like, yeah, that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> I have a question that's maybe slightly related. On your Bandcamp, you have a track called Thanatophobia. I'm always working on peripheral music stuff as well, and that's just a, a personal album I've been putting together over the last probably a year and a half now. So along with the Goteki stuff, I, I try and occasionally release just general, more like instrumental, moody, horror soundtrack things as well. So I've got a, an, a like two-thirds of an album ready to come out, but... Just been busy with Texas Chainsaw. Of course, yes. But, it sounds uh, like it. There's a lot of strange instrumentation, and you have a bunch of great videos on your YouTube showing off some of the process, discussing ideas behind composing for video games, and also showing off some instruments. And yeah, one of the things that I saw was the Scary Crown, which is a sort of waterless water phone that was hand built. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Is that used on the soundtrack? Where is it? Hold on. I'll go get it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that is scary. 
So this is it's built on the concept of a water phone, which is, um, say, a similar instrument. This one is just designed to sound a little drier and a little more horror specific. You just play it. Uh, you just let the bow slide over it with uh, like a lot of friction. So that it causes that really heavy punctuated vibration as it draws over it and it sounds beautiful it sounds it just sounds so dry and metallic and dusty and dark it's just perfect for texas chainsaws i got i only got that unfortunately about a year ago so it doesn't feature in a lot of the stuff that you hear on the vinyl soundtrack i think maybe just one track on that but everything since then that i've written for the game it's very heavily featured nothing left that i released today like a third of the entire track is written purely on that just so i would just play it again and again for half an hour then go and cut the best bits together into something interesting i got for the soundtrack i I got a lot from my modular system behind me as well that uh, that was something that I, i got into during lockdown so I would, everything I bought for it, I bought as a, each module is designed for Texas Chainsaw, really. So it's stuff to do with tape modulation and echoes and distortion and things like that. I could put things like a, a squealing pig or a cow or that Texas Chainsaw sound mm. into it. And then I would just set it up in a certain way that, 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 that it has like a life of itself. And then I would let that run for you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, and then cut the best bits together. And so a lot of the layers in the soundtrack built out of letting the modular just go nuts on its own for a while and then picking the best stuff out. Have you messed with the Synplant software? They just released a new version. No, I'm not familiar with that. It'll take a sample and generate synthesizer patches out of a sample you fed it. And it'll, it grows all these different iterations and you can influence it. It's really cool and really wild to take something that I've been, I mess around a lot with a Casio SK one and weird sound sources. And I've been feeding some of those into this to generate synthesizer patches based off of it. So (laughs) it'll work in like a VST and you can sample all the different nodes on this sort of tree of different synth patches it grows from your sample. It's, I think oh, you that would, sounds beautiful. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah. Sounds like my kind of area. <laughs> so how much gear did you acquire while working on the this in particular soundtrack? None of this behind me was here when I started. <laughs> <laughs> I I went a little crazy during the production of the game. It's nice to have an excuse to buy weird and wonderful equipment. So there was, there was mm-hmm. no hardship. And it makes it a lot easier to convince myself I need all these things if I'm working on this abstract soundtrack. But but it's like a, a nice part of it to every time I see some new piece of equipment that feels like it's really experimental and new and odd, I think, oh, that could be something I could use for this. And sometimes it wasn't like some of this stuff, like some stuff is gone that I, I just bought and sold again that just didn't fit in with the family of other instruments. But some of it just landed really well. I do see this kind of just over here in the corner. There's You can't see it because of the light, but it's like a green thing. That's a, th- a thing called a Soma Lira. It's a Russian, uh, like a weird developer. They just, they purely make weird instruments. And that one has eight touch sensitive panels on the front that you just, you make contact with your body by touching two metal bits together. And it makes like low, like ghostly moans and things. And the amount of pressure you put on it and the amount of water in your body dictates the the sound that, that, that it makes. So I use that in uh, about two thirds of the actual vinyl version of the soundtrack. Like other than the apprehension engine that uh, Wes Keltner purchased, which is our, our kind of star of the show, that instrument over there is definitely our second on the podium for most used. The apprehension engine was my next question, actually, of how that 
all came about and have you had your hands on it or is it located with Wes and, and you're getting samples? No, it's, it's, it's over in Kentucky. So Wes is a musician in his own right. And so it was, and it was great that he bought the apprehension, but well, he, we not bought, he, he had it made for him. You can't just buy them. It was originally made by four, sorry, Mark Corvin, who did the soundtracks, The Witch and The Lighthouse and a lot of other super high quality horror stuff. And Wes heard that and he just did some research and found out like, what is it that makes that sound? And he was befriended Mark Corvin and the guy whose name I've forgotten, who makes the actual instruments. And so he commissioned one to be made for him, which I think, I don't know how many there are in the world. There's not a lot of them though. They're handmade, they're crazy, difficult to make and very expensive. But that was our starting point really. Wes just played me some like samples of sounds he'd recorded with it. And it just sounds amazing. And that was where we began the language that I talked about earlier, really. That was where the language started. Because you just, you bow it, you hit it. There's a hurdy-gurdy element. There's a spring chamber. But everything on it just sounds so scary. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's the apprehension engine. Just have a look at images of it. And there's some great videos that the guy who made it has made. And Mark Corvin, the composer, has made some like interesting videos about it. But it looks as terrifying as it sounds. Like, it's pure horror. <laughs> there's some great photos of it up on the Texas Chainsaw website as well, the, yes, the video game are, website. Yeah. You can see how cool it looks. And yeah, it, it, hurdy-gurdy, it's got a spring tank. It's got a bunch of uh, metal rulers clamped down that you can bow yep. and some other sort of like a giant watch spring on it, all kinds of really cool looking yeah. stuff that looks like it sounds like a lot of fun. And well, I know it does because we can hear it all throughout the soundtrack, which yeah. is that I know Wes is credited on some of the soundtrack pieces. Is that largely mm -hmm. him supplying you with sounds or did you guys work on composition directly together? So he like just before lockdown started, before I really got into the composition, I gave him like a shopping list of every possible sound I would want for the, the composition. So he spent like three or four days just playing it and recording it and, and giving me like a library of, of content that I could use. And then from there, I just took that. Then the next few years was me incorporating that and pitching it, mangling it, distorting it, tape echoing it, flanging it, just every possible thing, just cutting it into bits. And, and it was one of my fundamental tools that I used for the music. It was a building block. One of the other games that I know you worked on was Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. What was your involvement with that? I know that you designed the ads that play That's on the right, TVs yeah. <laughs> and in the wild. Oh, did you do more design on that or was that sort of the, the scope of it? Yeah, that's that was my work on it. I So all of the in-game crazy adverts. So I did the music and sound design again during lockdown period, which was really weird for sound design. Oh, I've got a story. It's not very family friendly. We're not very family friendly here. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll tell you the story then. I had to do as well as the music. I was doing the like the sound design of the adverts, and there was an advert where a guy gets an erection in the advert, and I needed to do the sound of the erection, and I'm like, I, what do I use for that? But I had a punching bag, like a leather punching bag, in the house, so I set up a, a recording equipment, and I bear hugged a leather punching bag to get a nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, that's what I use. So you see that advert in, in Cyberpunk? Yeah, that, that, that's me bear hugging a punching bag. <laughs> I love the idea of you running around the house trying to find an erection sound. Yeah. What can I use? I like, mm. okay, it's got to be something here. Is this bell? Um, a spring? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was 
So I did 130 different like adverts for TVs and billboards and things with the brief of make everyone sound different from the last one, <laughs> which was exhausting, but so much fun. Yeah, I wasn't involved in the, in the core soundtrack or like the dynamic music or anything like that, but just being so much in the world, like when you play the game, my stuff's unavoidable all the time, which is nice. That game is a total sensory overload, the way yeah. everything plays I mean, out. It's so that, busy. That was, that was my brief really was just make it, just overly intense. And I'd pictured in my head, see from Blade Runner and things like that I had in my head of how it would be portrayed. And that kind of is how it is, that it's everywhere, it's all layered. So I had to make sure everything was, the music was moving all the time. There's no like heavy, muddy, static music. So there's, there's a lot of flangy, dynamic movement and everything, just because I thought it's probably going to get like five of these tracks playing at any given time, which they were. But it was crazy, but it was fun. <laughs> 130. That's yeah. a lot of distinctive, you know, commercials, jingles to make. That's wild. Yeah, I was, I was really running out of instruments by the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are sitting in a room with color changing lights and flashing lights behind you. Yeah. A <laughs> hockey mask in the style of Jason Voorhees, <laughs> a chainsaw, a reel to reel synthesizers, how important is the atmosphere in your studio when you're setting out to make these kind of sounds? And has that changed because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I guess maybe I've changed because I've always wanted to work on horror stuff and the darker things. And I'm hoping that the success of Texas Chainsaw as a game and my music being well received means that I can push into that area. Yeah, you know, as a composer, I've always just had to take the work that's available to me. I've always thought, yeah, you know, if I get to the point where more work is offered to me than I can take, then I can start choosing my directions. And I'm hoping more and more now that's going to be the case that I can push into horror and sci-fi and the things I love personally. I, I will do, I'll always do any music, but yeah, you know, this is the stuff I love. I've grown up with the music I love is goth and industrial music and stuff like that. And I've grown up with horror films and sci-fi. I can like I said earlier, I can find something to enjoy and get excited about in any game I work on. If the next game my studio wants me to do music for is, I don't know, Hello Kitty Racing, I, I will find something about that that I enjoy and I will I'll do my best work for it. But this is what I love. You can see from who I am and what's around me that this is my element. So I've been very lucky that, that I finally got to do something that's very me. And I think it's gone very well for me because of that. Because I could always do my best work, but this was me doing my best work in my best area. So I think it's, yeah, it's landed well for me. I'm really happy with the result. Should we expect a solo offering of more music in this vein and it's dark ambient and industrial leanings? Oh, I think so. Yeah, like I'm working on an album, which is an overspill, really. It just me wanting to do more of it when the need for it in the game has, has dried up mostly. But I will, yeah, I'll always be making dark music that's my 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 first love really so yeah i think there's gonna be no shortage of moody horror music coming out of me <laughs> this was awesome is there anything else we should discuss you guys you think i mean so you said you have you're working on something coming up where can people pick up not only the texas chainsaw soundtrack your solo stuff your band stuff is there where can people go to pick up some stuff get the downloads, get the physical copy, give us the info. Just come find me on the usual things, really. I've got quite a lot of content on YouTube. 
I've with the Texas chains of being so busy, just like fixing last bugs and things like that, it's slowed down a bit recently. But I try and get like constant stream of some content, one kind or another on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter to to slash X or whatever we're calling it, or to um, right. where I'll, I'll always be talking about what I'm working on uh, at the moment, like mostly discussing Texas chains or with the fans of the game and stuff like that. There's a lovely big sort of vibrant community talking about the game at the moment. Yeah, most mostly those two. Just find me on stuff. I'm very vocal on social media and I, I love chatting to people about it. And if people have questions about any aspects of the technical part of what I do or just what music I'm doing, just find me on Twitter or YouTube or, or anything else or my website and I, I will always reply. I just love talking to people about music and horror and stuff. I'm not going to be angry if someone emails me. So yeah, <laughs> get in contact if people got any more questions. And yeah, probably yeah, YouTube and Twitter is easiest. I'll link to those two. Your YouTube has a lot of great content, especially in regards to <laughs> doing you. this sort of work and some of your strange instruments. And I, I think it's a neat place to get a little deeper picture of what it is you do. So I, I'll make sure to cool. link those in our description for this episode. Awesome. Well, Ross, thank you so much. This was it's really awesome. I, I'm excited we got to talk about a different aspect of sound design and atmospheric music than we normally do. Wow, it's lovely chatting to you guys. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.